0: Let's pray, and then let's uh, let's read this. Father, we love you. You are a good God. You are doing great things in our midst. All the glory goes to you. None of it goes to us. Um, we are your instruments to, uh, to to spread the the love that you have for your creation. Um, I ask that now, as we as we open your word, as we study it, that uh, you would speak to us what we need to hear. That we would understand fully the truths that are contained in this book. Um, uh, thank you for preserving this book, this, this letter, Down Through the Ages, a simple letter to a small church in a city 2,000 years ago, and we are able to sit here and study it, and that's amazing, God. Um, so we ask that uh, in the same way that, that this letter spoke to those people, that it would speak to us, that, it would, um, that we'd be able to see it with first century eyes, apply it in this modern 21st century, and, 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 uh, and, and be able to grasp what it means. Thank you preserving it. Um, speak through me this morning. May these be your words and not my own. May we never take an interpretation that we want it to say and force it into the text. May we simply study it and understand the context and, and apply it. Thank you, God. In your name. Amen. All right, so read with me 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 9 here. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready. For you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely humans? What then is Apollos, what is Paul, serving through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive the wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So that's verses 1 through 9. We're going to hit the rest later, the last three verses in this chapter, which bring the point back around and emphasize something really important to this text. Um, so I guess I need to do a little review, because some of you might not have been here last week. Um, he has just come off, um, chapter 2, talking about how, um, sort of what, what he started off saying here, I wanted to teach you deeper things. He, 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 in the previous chapter, he taught that there are these deeper teachings to Christianity. There's basically two, two kinds of Christian. There is, there is the, what, what, what they called the, uh, I have the slide here. Um, yeah, yeah, oh, see. I have graphics, and they move. Um, there's what's called the kerygma, which was the beginner, sort of the person who grasps Christianity, who understands the truths of it. It's, it's sort of a, a mentally ascending to a place where you understand the truths of Jesus. Um, this word meant a herald's announcement from the king. It's, uh, this is, this is the, the word that the ancient Christians used to use to describe sort of a baby Christian. Um, the plain facts of Christianity. Um, after that, there was what was called the didache. Um, That meant the teaching. It was the explanation, the deeper meanings behind all the beliefs. Um, Why they are what they are. What grace really means for the rest of our lives. What it means to take the gospel deeper into our lives. Um, Deep theological truths that aren't really understandable by the young believer. And so Paul says, in verse 1, Brothers, I, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. I wanted to address you as the Didache people. I wanted to... ...to talk to you in a way that, that was really explaining these amazing things, these amazingly deep truths. But every time I came back to see you, you were still Kerygma students. You were still the baby students. You were still infants that were still drinking milk, and you really should have been eating meat. So, along with these two types of persons last week we talked about, there is, there is, uh, There's, along with these two types of Christians, there's two types of persons in general. And this could be Christian or not Christian. Um... There is the, the, the pneumaticoi. This, these are people who are sensitive to the spirits. Um, people whose spirits are in tune with God and they are following God. Um, they're not making decisions just on a whim based on what they want. They're, when something comes up, they need to make a decision. They go throughout their daily lives, whatever. They, they are in tune with with God's plan for the world, the kingdom of God that is that is breaking through, where this world is headed, God's plan for the world, and everything that they do lines up with God's plan for the world and for themselves and for their spiritual life. All right. Um, and then there was the Sukikos. Um the people who were just simply acting like, um, for better, for more or less, uh, for lack of a better word, they were just acting like animals. They wanted something, they took it. Um, there was no thought to eternal things. There's no thought to um, any kind of morality it, it all had to do with consequences. I'm, I want this, they will meet my need, I'm going to take it. And people were living however they want. Um, so, along with the two types of Christians, the Didache and the Kerygma, there's two types of normal people. Um, the pneumaticoi, uh, the, the people who are following God, and the people who, psychikos, are just following their flesh, living however they want. Alright, see so you with me? There's my review. Now, Paul calls the people out and says, I wanted to teach you the deeper things about God, the things which fill you with wonder and hope and excitement about God and what God aims to do in this world. But he says, I, I couldn't because you're not people of the Spirit, you're people of the flesh. You're not pneumaticoi, you're psychikos. Um You're people of the flesh. You're infants in Christ. And, and that's interesting because even though they were Christians, they were still living in the flesh. And and we're gonna look at the repercussions of that in, in a few minutes. Um, so he says he couldn't because they're not people of the spirit; they're people of the flesh. He says that they were pneumaticos and not they they were not pneumaticos; they were psychicos, and and they were people whose interests and aims really don't go beyond their physical life. He basically tells them that they're infants, and and what this basically means is this: they were people who were claiming that they mentally ascended to a place where they understood God. They mentally ascended to. Um, and and their hearts were changed to a point of, I guess you would say, Christianity, salvation. Um, They grasped and understood and believed and had faith in God. But they had not gone any farther than that. They were still living like the world. They were still led by their flesh. I would argue, as we look around at where Christianity is today, most of Western Christianity, um, this is what it is. It is the Corinthian church. It is... A people who we've mentally ascended, we understand who God is and and what God is doing in the world. We understand the message of Jesus, we understand the gospel, and we believe it. But as we go throughout our day, our decisions are solely based on what we want for the future, our future goals, um, where we want our life, our personal little world to go. So, you can actually be a Christian and be living exactly like as though you were not. And it has very little to do with your belief system. It actually has to do with what leads you, what, you, what guides your every decision. All right, it's, it's, really, it's really fascinating, and, and it's, it's, the, the way Paul presents this, it's sort of different than, than the way we normally picture it. They're claiming to know what life is about. They're claiming to know that there's a God, that he came in the form of a man, and they're claiming to know that Jesus will have a hand in how things end in the world and in the future, that he's going to take part in the future of mankind, all this stuff. He, they, they believe all this stuff. But they were having very, very little success trying to get their lives to line up with the teachings of Jesus. It was all up here. None of it was here. None of it was here. Um, and he says that they're still at this physical stage. Um, <clears throat> so, along with the other things he said, he now uses two more words to describe them. So, he's, he's done two words, and he's done two more words, and now he's got two more. Um. These two words here. Um, the first one he calls them is sarkanoi. As he's building this up, he says, he says you're sarkanoi. Which basically, the first, uh, the first part, sarks, means flesh. Enos means made, made of flesh. He says, you're creation. That's what you are. Um, so he starts off talking about them. He says, you're made of creation. And then he gets a little farther as he's describing them. And he switches the last sort of part of the word to sarkikos. And ikos, the end of it, means dominated. He says, you are created... Creatures, you are in the flesh, but the problem is not that you're in the flesh, the problem is not that you're made of flesh, the problem is that you're actually dominated and led by your flesh. So he says, that is basically, and, and we know this, this is, the, this is the entire premise of the, gen, of the creation narrative, that, that we are different from creation. We are creation, we are made sort of of the same substance that the rest of the world is, but we're not led by it, everything else is. We're different. There's one thing about us that's different. It is that thing that that, that God has too. It is that spirit, that soul, that um, that connection that we have. And we are very unique beings on the planet. And we are the only ones that are capable of not of of being creation and not being actually led and dominated by our creation. And Paul says that's the way it's supposed to be. Um, so these are, these are the words that he tells them. He says, you were made out of flesh, but you have actually come to be, to be ruled by your own flesh. Um, you see, to Paul, the flesh is a lot more than merely a physical thing. The problem is not that they were made out of flesh. Being made out of flesh is a very normal thing. All human beings are made out of flesh. Um, and the interesting thing is, there's a, there's a teaching in Christianity today that I push pretty hard against. Um, and as I look more and more, theologians are writing out against this as they see it in the church. Um, it's basically, it, it's something that t- tells us that um, the flesh is bad, that in Christianity, that the flesh is bad, and the ultimate, the ultimate goal of Christianity is is to die and fly away to some pie in the sky, like to just, to be disembodied souls flying around, that that is the ultimate goal of Christianity. That is not the goal of Christianity. Christianity understands that God made creation as as a beautiful, good thing, and put us here to redeem this, to, to put us here to represent Him here, and it was destroyed mainly by us. And what is the symbol of resurrection? If, if our entire goal was just to fly away and to just be souls flying away in an endless universe that, that is now considered good because the physical was what is bad, then what was the point of resurrection? Why would God ever bring Jesus back to life? Wouldn't He just be better off not rising? Resurrection tells us that God cares about creation, that God wants to redeem creation. That resurrection is the ultimate goal of what we are doing here. Resurrection, as I said on Easter, is the reason that we believe families can be put back together. Resurrection is the reason that we believe people can be healed. Uh, It's the reason that we believe all relationships can be reconciled, children can come back home to their parents. It's the reason we believe communities can be made whole again, which is why we take part in community service projects. Because we believe in resurrection. If we didn't believe in resurrection, if we thought the whole point of this was all just one day it's all going to burn and we're all going to fly away and never come back and God wants no, nothing to do with all this physical stuff, then we wouldn't do any of that. But we believe in resurrection. We believe that God cares. So really, what some of what passes for Christianity today, this whole, the whole point is the flesh is bad and the whole point is to fly away and escape these terrible earthly bodies. That's not really Christianity. That's actually very ancient Gnostic Platonism. You should read about that. You should study that. I, I, I encourage these kinds of studies because you're going to see that that is an ancient Greek idea um, made by the Gnostics, encouraged by Plato, dualism. It, it was just the idea that the physical realm was bad. We believe God will one day come back, separate the sheep and the goats, and he will establish his kingdom, and resurrection will take place. This is what we believe, this is what I teach, this is what we hold to. This is the hope that we have. If all that's going to happen is everything's just going to be wiped out and we're going to fly away somewhere else, then why are we even doing anything good here? So this is sort of, Paul's not saying that the flesh is bad. He says, yes, you're made of flesh. He says, but you're not dominated and ruled by your flesh. You are different than everything else in creation. All of this is pretty obvious, I mean... We all, we all know what it means to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus simply means you're going in the same direction as Him. He's heading somewhere, a, an amazing kingdom. All of our actions can either contribute to or fight against this. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Um, our decisions and our actions are made with the kingdom in mind. It's not our desires, not solely our flesh, but the, what Jesus taught and what Jesus wanted where He is heading. So the fascinating thing about this whole thing to me is, is that Paul could tell their spiritual state. Look what he says to them. I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh. Uh, you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in human ways? He's, he's judging their spirituality. Have you ever decided, just thought in your mind that like, really nobody knows where I am spiritually. Nobody can tell. I have all these things I need to deal with, but nobody has any idea. And it's my personal thing I can hide and I can go through life with and nobody will ever know. Paul says he he knew what was in their hearts, their connection to God, whether or not it was strong or weak. He knew what was leading them. He knew their spiritual state. And to me that's a little disconcerting. Because that tells me that there are evidences that people can see straight into my heart and sort of get a grasp of my connection to God. I mean, the question I have is, how did Paul know that this is where they were? This seems like a pretty rough judgment to make on people. You know, the argument back would be, you don't know what what I'm thinking. You don't know what's in my heart. You don't know my relationship with God. And Paul says, yes, I do. What is it that gave him the authority to gauge their spiritual state? What was it about their life that made him level this really harsh rebuke at them? And he tells them here, because there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For When one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? And then he goes on to talk about this in a different way. But what it was basically that told him that they were not being led by the Spirit of God, was that they had this partisan attitude. They had strife. They had factions. They, um, it was a, the way that they were trying to be superior to other people by who they associated themselves with. This is what human beings do. We do the same thing that animals do in, in the world. Wolf packs. They, they find the dominant person, the wolf, not person, and they go with him. This is what people do. We find the person who we want to be like, associate with, um, that A-type personality or whatever, the, the, the person that, that we say, they are powerful, they are strong, When people look at them, they they just demand respect. I'm a follower of theirs. I affiliate myself with them. And, and, And we want people to, when they look at us, when they look at them, to see an affiliation. And Paul says, see, you're splitting yourself up into factions. You're doing just like the creation, the world does. People who don't live in the way that God wants us to live, this is how they live. And he says, that's how I can tell, because you're separating yourselves. You're supposed to be unified. You believe the same thing, and you're separating yourselves. And I can tell that that means that you're not getting this. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow this teacher. I follow that preacher, author, speaker, theologian. These are conversations that happen on a regular basis in the Christian community. We affiliate ourselves with authors, with theologians. Um, When Paul saw these things, he, he, he didn't just see something that Christians should... Shouldn't be participating and He saw a mindset that was rooted in the entirely wrong place. A people that were ruled and dominated by their flesh and not their spirit. So, why is this significant and why, why does it matter how Paul knew? Because basically, it means that you can tell what a person's relationship with God is by looking at the way that person relates to other people. Think about that. How do you relate to other people? Are you a separatist? Do you, do you like to not associate with certain kind of people? Are you very judgmental of entire people groups? This kind of mindset was a dead giveaway for Paul that that person was not being led by the Spirit when we separate ourselves in our communities, in our churches, in our spirituality. Paul says that you can tell what a person's relationship with God is by looking at the way they relate to others. You'd like to think that nobody has a window into your life, but they do. If someone is at a variance with other people and is quarrelsome and is argumentative and a troublemaking kind of person, that person may be a very diligent server in the church, that person may be in church leadership, that person may have done really great things for God, but if they're just quarrelsome and they're divisive and they're separatists from certain kinds of people, they're not being led by the Spirit. They're just not. If they have a relationships that are marked by love and unity and accord, then, then we can look at them and we could say that the spirit is connected with their their spirit is connected with the spirit of God and they are being led by it. If we love God, we will love our neighbors. When quarrels erupt among the people of God, it basically it's showing us that that we're not exchanging the currency of God, grace and peace. This is what Paul starts every letter with. He writes all these letters confronting all the sin in the church, and what does it start with? Grace and peace to you all. Grace and peace to you all. Before he just rips into these things that they need to change that are destroying their church. Grace and peace, and he ends every level, every every letter with grace and peace. Grace and peace. Grace and peace is a pretty important part of Christianity. It's something I talk about constantly. When we when quarrels erupt among the people of God, it shows us that we're we're not exchanging grace and peace. And when we quarrel, we're showing that we. We actually care about earthly currency, respect, pride, adoration, power, all of these things that cause us to separate. This is earthly currency. These are the things that the world sees as important. Um, Pride, um, respect, I want your respect, I demand that you give me your respect. Power, we all want power. People who have power, we want to affiliate with them. This is not how God wants us to be. Not at all. And this is where Paul attacks their very view of people through this metaphor of gardening. And this gets great. Verse 5, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you have believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers and you are God's field. God's building. I love this, because this garden metaphor that he builds is, is, it pretty much encompasses the whole idea that he's trying to get across here. He says, in a garden there's all kinds of workers, and all of them are necessary. One person may plant a seed, another may water the seed, another person may till the seed, but neither, none of these people can claim credit for the fact that the plant grows. And think about that. None of these people invented photosynthesis. Sorry, they didn't. None of these people created the sun. They didn't. Um, none of them designed the way plants are fed and grown. None of them are responsible for the existence of water or sunshine. Uh, I, okay, so I love this. Um, I, I hear once in a while, I, I, heard, I heard, okay, recently, probably three weeks ago, I like to watch debates um, among scientists and, and like atheism and Christianity debates. And, and so um, this man, David Berlinski, was debating... Uh, I want to even say maybe Dawkins or something, but he, he was talking about how he says, you Christians, you don't like to receive any kind of praise. Whenever, whenever you do something, you, you talk about how God did this. You know, um, rock stars get up on stage and they thank God. Why are you thanking God? You did all of that. You are the one who did all of that. Stop passing your, your praise off to some imaginary being that you believe in. And this is how he was talking. And the first thing I thought of was in my mind was, so Richard Dawkins accepts all of his praise for his intelligence, Richard Dawkins didn't choose where he was born. He didn't choose his education that he had as a kid. He didn't choose his level of intellect. He didn't choose whether or not he would actually have a right hand to write with. He didn't choose that he would have good enough health to live long enough to write books. None of this was his, but he's claiming credit for all of it. This is why I always go back, and this is important. This is what Paul talked about in in chapter 1 here. This is why I always go back to the doctrine of predestination and why it's important for our understanding of the work of God and why the doctrine of predestination is important for how we view ourselves and the things that we do. You are not responsible for the things that you take credit for. You are not. You did not choose which family you would be born into. You did not raise yourself. You did not give yourself a high enough intellect um, high enough to hone and apply the skills that you have picked up over the years all of those claims belong to God every one of them he chose all of those things which means that even your salvation was chosen by God because you didn't give yourself the intellect to find God he gave it to you you were chosen by God understand that God gave you the ears to hear, the mind to comprehend, the mouth to repent with. You were chosen by God. Have you ever heard a leader in a church or 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 an organization or a parachurch organization say things like this? I built this church from scratch. I founded this organization. We have accomplished so much. We have done amazing things in this city. Have you heard your brothers and sisters talk like this? I don't mean to drop an axe on anybody's foot, but this is folly. We are instruments in the hands of God. Nothing that we claim to have accomplished is really ours to take credit for. He gave you the ability to do every, everything. Every little bit of work that you have done, the only reason you have been able to do it is because God made that possible for you to do. When Ephesians 2 talks about that. He says he talks about the good works that God has ordained, preordained, predestined for us to do. You didn't choose the city you were born in, you didn't choose the family you were born into, or the education that you would get as a child. Those were all gifts from God. And so when we stand up and we say, Look at all the amazing things that Watermark has done, no. We're a rake. That's all we are. In the two hands of God that is using it to build something good the second we rise up with arrogance and claim that we have done anything and we take the glory away from Jesus. That's the beginning of the end. That's when it goes down. You ever seen this verse when we were in the book of Ephesians? To him, it's talking about Jesus, to him be the glory in the, in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. In the church, to him be the glory in the church. Too many churches are giving glory to people. Too many churches are, are, are boasting about the things that they've accomplished when the only person that, that stands to be praised is Jesus. We try to do everything we can here to remember this. We try to set up sort of as much in a circle as we can. It was easier when we had a wide room. Now we have a long room. It's hard to set up in a circle to where we're all facing each other and we're all singing to God together, and we put the band in the middle of the circle. I don't particularly like being on the stage, but nobody could see me. Um, To nobody in this room goes the glory in the church. To God goes the glory in the church. God is happy, and he's pleased that his children are willing to serve, willing to do things. But in the end of it, when when it's done, when the work is done, we turn and say, thank you, Jesus. Right? Right? All of us are on the same level. You know what else this means? If we're all just tools and, and instruments of God, then, then nobody in the church is more important than you. None of the elders, not me. None of us are, are necessarily vital for God's work to go forward. You are just as important as, as me. The, the work you do are just as important as the work I do, the elders do, all of us. Your responsibilities are just as important as mine. None of us can claim precedence over another. We are all servants working together for one master, Jesus. My favorite part about this whole chapter is, if for some reason he, he breaks away and he puts it at the end. So turn with me. I don't have, um, oh yeah, I'm going to put it on the screen here. Um, 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, the last three verses, two verses, yeah, twenty-two, three verses, <laughs> math. Um, this, is, this is brilliant. I love this. And I never saw this until this week. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Did you see what just happened? I'm a follower of Paul. I'm a follower of Apollos. You're claiming that you are theirs. You are theirs. You are theirs. But the truth is that they are yours. They are a gift to you. Take what you want, be blessed by them, but you do not belong to them. Do not enslave yourselves to these people. Do not do that. It's brilliant. He takes all the teachings about how worldly it is to claim that you belong to some certain teacher or theological bend and to boast about it, and he completely turns it upside down and he says that. They're seeking to give themselves into the hands of other people, human beings. Why do we want to give ourselves and put our put our identity in the hands of a human being? How many people have affiliated themselves with a great leader? And stand next to him and stand below him and say, I support this guy and, and I'm behind this guy, only to have that guy fall and commit atrocities. And then who are they affiliated with? And they do work really fast to disassociate themselves. This happens a lot in Christianity. Paul tells them, in fact, it's not they who belong to that person, but that, the other way around. That person belongs to them. They are already rulers over all things. Identification in, in some parts... Um, the identification with some person, what that is, it's, it's willful slavery. It's, it's putting yourself under that person and, and, and their work and their ability to represent you correctly. You're enslaving yourself to someone, and Paul says, you know who I'm a slave to? Christ. That's who I'm going to put my identity in, because he's the only one that's really never going to go far uh, off, the, off the path. He's always going to do the right thing. I'm, I'm always going to be associated with somebody who is perfect. And then it gets, it, gets, it gets way farther than that. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. So we have the people here. Uh, we got that covered. Or the world, or life, or death. He doesn't stop. He just keeps going and going and going. All things are yours. The world, life, or death the present, the future. These things, are these things not the ultimate tyrannies of the world? Life and death. Death is the ultimate tyranny of the world, isn't it? That it's, what, it's what the world is terrified of. It's, it's what we are enslaved to. We, we live our lives trying to get everything we want to get accomplished before the day that we die. And he says, but you know what? You are not a slave to death. You're a Christian. You know what that means? Death belongs to you. What does that mean? It's what we talked about, resurrection. We are not afraid of it. It does not control us. We do not fear it. We walk on and we say, death, where is your sting? Or the present or the future? The present. What's your struggles? Food, clothing, money? We worry about these things like crazy. The gospel promises us that we will eventually have all the health in the world. It's pretty plain and simple. We will have everything. The mountains, the seas, the heavens. All of this, there's a bug. All of this will be made new and they will be yours. Are you worried about money? Your worries exist for now. But the world belongs to you. And one day you will inherit all of it. You are promised that. You will have it. It's guaranteed life and death. Paul has the audacity to say death is yours. We're not slaves to it. The present and the future, you are not a slave to your circumstances. Whatever is holding you down will eventually give way for your benefit in the end. So we look at life as, as, and we say, life, no matter what I'm going through, is not the owner of me. Everything that is happening is a garden tool in the hands of the great gardener. That's all it is. So maybe when somebody asks you, what's going on? You seem like you're carrying a heavy load. I've got a pretty heavy garden tool right now that I'm carrying around. God's digging something up, and uh, when he's done, it's going to be awesome. And I'm going to grow. Growth, gardening, eh? see that? Like that? Just did that. and That was off the top of my head. Jonathan Edwards, the great theologian, he preached this sermon. He preached a sermon on this very passage, and he says this, and I love it. Yeah. There's all right. He says this. There are three reasons that you should be happy all of the time. Now, normally, I hate it when something starts like this. Super (laughs) cheesy, but not Jonathan Edwards. This dude was awesome. There are three reasons that you should be happy all of the time. Number one, bad things will turn out for your good. Number two, good things that you have in Christ can never be taken away from you. And three, the best things are yet to come. I like that. That's a much more digestible way of saying exactly what Paul just said. He said, the future is yours, everything is yours. Ultimately, you're outside of the control of everything that is going on in your life. It cannot control you. You are outside of its control. It will end. Then there is resurrection. So stop putting yourselves under the control of of some person, some human, some teacher, human oppression of any kind. Don't put yourself under their control. To the degree that you are a servant of Christ, all things will be a servant of yours. To the degree that you are a servant of Christ, Everything in your life is a servant of yours. The deeper you take the gospel, the less deep these things can pull you down. You will not be tyrannized and you will not be afraid. Like we sang about, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. It's a good message, right? It's awesome. It's amazing. I love Paul. Why don't we take communion? This is what we do every single week. This is an important part of our community. This is, um, this is a time when we, when we take some time to, to stop and think about what Jesus did, what He suffered through on that cross. We ponder it, and we ponder how our lives have not quite lived up to the way that they should be. Ways that we are being led by the flesh and not the Spirit and we take some time and we ask God to reveal these things to us and we repent of them maybe you need to find somebody to confess some sins to and um, we're all the priests of God confess your sins one to another and if that's happening you look at that person and you say in the name of Jesus your sins are forgiven let's go take communion and then you come on up you take a piece of bread you dip it in the glass you eat it it's a symbol of taking the gospel down deep inside of you and you say Father Jesus, I do this to remember what you did for me on the cross. It's a good thing. So, if you're not a a follower of Christ, if you're not a Christian, I would ask that you don't take communion. You don't understand the sacredness of what you're taking part in. Um, If you are a follower of Christ, you don't have to be a member of our church or anything. You can be a guest, and just please, we welcome you to take communion with us. So, um, let's pray. Father, we love you. You are good and holy and wonderful. And we ask that uh, you would work in our lives this week to do, do something great. Let us rise above all these circumstances that are around us. Let us not divide ourselves into factions and, and, and judge each other based upon anything. When we look at each other, when we look at anyone outside these walls at all, we look at them as, as creations of God, loved by God, that God desires to resurrect into exactly what they are supposed to be and let us take part in resurrection daily. We love you, God, in your name. Amen. Take some time and talk to God this morning.